Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. During the first presidential debate in September, Joe Biden dismissed Antifa as an idea, not an organization. Well, that idea forced my guest to flee the country after Antifa repeatedly threatened his life. This is Out Loud with Gianna Caldwell. Welcome back to Out Loud with Gianno Caldwell. I've got an awesome show for you guys this week. My guest is Andy No, a journalist and editor of The Post Millennial. Andy is also the author of the newly released New York Times bestselling book titled Unmasked, Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy. This must-read book draws upon Andy's extensive research and experience covering Antifa on the front lines. He tells the story of Antifa's history and tactics as a violent extremist movement right here in the United States. Today, I hear from someone who's been attacked and repeatedly threatened by Antifa extremists. We also discuss what happened last summer between Antifa and Black Lives Matter during the George Floyd protests, which turned into riots across the country. Let's go. Andy No, I am so honored to have you on Out Loud with Gianno Caldwell today. How are you doing? I'm okay. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you. Thank you. I want to start with a simple question. And it's one I think a lot of Americans may not even be aware of what exactly Antifa is. Joe Biden called it an idea, not an organization. The former FBI director, Christopher Wray, described it as more of an ideology or a movement than an organization. How do you define Antifa? So it's not necessarily how I define it. It's actually how they define themselves. Antifa is also a movement made up of networks of groups and cells who follow this violent extremist ideology, um, which they euphemistically call anti-fascism, but it's anarchist communism uh, with a revolutionary agenda. And so uh, I think what can be confusing for the average layman and um, journalists as well who write about politics is that because Antifa organizes essentially phantom cells, there's always a sort of plausible deniability in their existence, and that's by intention. Um, But you can look at some of the groups that are organized as formal organizations, like Rose City Antifa, which I write about extensively in my book because they're one of the largest cells in the United States based in Portland, where uh, I did most of my reporting and where I'm from. And you'll see that they have a formal membership process that involves a six-month vetting process where uh, recruits get radicalized over time. They get introduced to training on how to injure and maim their opponents. And there's also training on how to take up arms. So it's not we're not just dealing with people who are quote-unquote anti-fascists. We're really dealing with a ideology that is calling for the overthrow of the United States and its adherents carry out acts of terrorism to further that goal, to get closer to that goal. Do you think, and we know this is a very extreme movement, would you consider them domestic terrorists at all? I know President Trump was 
discussing the idea of um, designating them a domestic terrorist group. I, I, it, it feels to me, and when I read the reporting, when I see what they do, that this is a group of domestic terrorists. And I would like to know, especially since you spent so much time on the ground covering them, would you agree with that assessment that they should be uh, designated as a domestic terrorist group? Yes, and it's not just me. I mean, people can dismiss my opinions on it, but they should look at the internal memos that were published by political uh, from the Department of Homeland Security, and they describe the actions of Antifa groups as um, domestic terrorist activities. That's significant, and very few people are aware of it. Um, regarding this label, though, I, I lament that it's being thrown around just as sort of um, uh, like a political volleyball. Like you hear it used a lot from both the left and the right now just to describe any individual group that they disagree with, and it's making it lose a lot of meaning. You're seeing, for example, the label terrorism applied to Trump supporters or people who peacefully came to listen to Trump uh, speak on the 6th of January and applying that same label to uh, any anybody who just expressed support for him at some point. Um, but I, I do consider Antifa a domestic terrorist organization because, as I write and unmasked with some of these primary documents, you can see that their training doesn't just radicalize people until having a ideological base a theological ideological basis for um, their acts of violence they also teach their followers how to do it so you can look at the riots that they were involved in uh, Portland was particularly egregious because they, the riots happened for more than 120 days night after night after night uh, of and they were setting fires to buildings where people were inside, police were inside. Um, they tried to barricade police stations with quick drying cement and then set the fire, set the building on fire. Um, as I'm speaking to you now, less than 24 hours ago in Portland, Oregon, the Antifa gathered outside the police uh, union building and tried to tear down the front door to get inside. So, um, they bring guns, they bring knives, they bring IEDs, they give out weapons and explosives to people to use at the riots as well. So it's a very sophisticated um, act of organized mass violence that is meant to destabilize um, the state. And they have particular, have had quite success, I would say, in Portland and Seattle in that at times, they've been able to actually claim territory as sovereign, if you will. So you can look at the CHAZ that was in Seattle last year, which um, stands for Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. They took over six city blocks of an area nearby downtown, and they actually set up a hard border uh, with checkpoints. Uh, it was guarded by their so-called security. These people had rifles and other weapons that they were brandishing. You had to go through the checkpoints to go in. So if you happen to live in that area, you were essentially one of the hostages. And that was allowed to go on for several weeks, and it devolved into many shootings and several murders. Uh, in December, an autonomous zone was established in Portland for a week. Um, as recently as a couple of weeks ago, the Antifa in Washington State um, took over a Red Lion hotel and created a hostage situation involving some 40 occupied rooms. And according to the hotel staff, the Antifa were bringing in hatchets and batons and knives and other weapons. So we're having these, these insurrectionary activities being done in the open, but they're not being covered as such in, by our mainstream media or the legacy press. Um, so people just aren't aware of it. I think if you're going to, if people are going to describe what happened on the 6th of January as an up, as an insurrection or an uprising, whatever you want to call it, you should apply that same label then to people who do similar things and worse, such as what the Antifa and the BLM did and do. Now, let me ask you this, because I've seen some reporting 
that at least um, suggested that there were uh, white supremacists within the Antifa movement. Have you seen any evidence of that? Antifa, whenever they are involved in really violent activities against either property or people, um, some of them go out and try to say it's a false flag. Uh, I haven't found evidence for that, that there are actually people, evidence for the claim that people on the far right are pretending to be Antifa to blame criminal activities on them. Uh, when I was beaten by Antifa in 2019, they gave me a brain hemorrhage. The Antifa had quite negative press coverage for that uh, because they attacked a person of the press uh, in downtown. And then they started this rumor that uh, these were secret right-wingers who uh, were beating me up to frame Antifa. So Antifa are always trying to deny their involvement in criminal activities. In, in regards to are there like um, Antifa frequently get accused of being racist, even though they claim to be anti-racist because the, the type of um, hatred that they show for people of color who are conservative or Trump supporters is just as vicious and violent as for anybody else. So in Portland last year, for example, there was a, uh, a black conservative activist named Andrew Duncombe um, who went to Portland and he got stabbed by an Antifa member. And so they do violence against black people, against people of color, against gay minorities of color, such as myself, um, as long as if you have the wrong worldview, or if they think you have an opposing view to them, they will enact violence against you and even potentially try to kill you. So quite likely that there are white supremacists that are members of the Antifa movement, and certainly they've been embraced um, there from what it appears to be. I want to turn to the Democratic Party and the refusal of many Democrats even to acknowledge Antifa exists. But first, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary, indulges your senses, and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the Natural Hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. 
Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Now, let me ask you this question. Do they care who leadership is? They obviously were anti-Trump and appearing to be very pro-Biden people. Or is it just about chaos? It's just about chaos. This perception that these are Biden supporters is wrong. I hear that a lot on the right, and I know people want to use it to try to smear Biden because his administration hasn't um, done much even in condemning Antifa. But if you listen to what Antifa actually say themselves, they don't recognize any American government. This is the anarchist side of their anarchist communist ideology. So we've had now more than a dozen riots in the Pacific Northwest since it was known that Biden had won. And some people were puzzled at the time. They're like, why are Antifa rioting if Biden won? Why did they smash up the DNC headquarters in Portland? They do that because this so-called resistance that they put up against Trump was always pretextual. It was always an excuse for the extremism. If it's not Trump, it's something else. Now that Trump's out of the way, it's Biden. If it's not Biden, it's America. It's not America, it's uh, capitalism. They always have something that they have to um, be angry about and to respond violently to. So on Inauguration Day, they um, held a banner that said, we don't want Biden, we want revenge. And there was an image of a Kalashnikov rifle on that banner. And then they marched to the, the headquarters of the Oregon Democrat Party and destroyed it. And that's the second time that they have targeted one of the Democrat buildings in Portland. So I think Democrats are thinking that they can control Antifa and use them as sort of like helpful, indirect foot soldiers. They're realizing that this is going to this is coming back to bite them. This is not something that you can control. Portland's mayor, Ted Wheeler, who's coddled Antifa for many years now, he's actually had to flee from his home because the Antifa rioted outside his home and set the building on fire at one point um, last uh, last year. And he's been assaulted in public. So, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's really too late, I think, for Democrats to wake up because they've allowed, they've given Antifa years to develop um, more sophisticated ways of organizing, um, better streams of funding. So, um, I mean, what, what makes me angry is that, you know, somebody like a, the mayor of Seattle can retire because she's not, she's not running again for office. Um, Ted Wheeler can exit office and have, a, these people can have a good life, but the, the consequences of their, act, their poor decision-making in, in the cities where they were elected Uh, is going to be felt for years down the line. And you can see when you go to these cities in the Pacific Northwest that some parts of the city are, they look like slums. So you see Antifa as a direct link to the Democratic Party, almost as if it's a gang that's affiliated with the Democratic Party. But of course, much more than a gang, as you would see, like, say, the Gangster Disciples in Chicago or any of those localized gangs. This is a real legitimate movement with a national organization that the Democratic Party has supported in some way, shape or form. Is that right? No, I do not see them as directly linked to the Democrats Party. What I see them as is a violent extremist, violent extremist, thuggish uh, paramilitary like group that the Democrats cynically used against their opponents on the right, Trump supporters and Trump himself. And it was always a tenuous sort of unofficial uh, partnership. Um, But as we are witnessing now in some places, Antifa cannot be controlled. Their goal is not to be subjected to a Democrat-run government. They want to seek the destruction of the Republic itself. So they don't recognize any party any politician. As you mentioned, you left Portland uh, for London because of increasing threats of violence against you by Antifa extremists. Are you still in London now? And can you tell us about how hard it was for you to leave the country because of these threats? Ever since I was beaten in the summer of 2019, I've been subject to increasing death threats. I mean, really like 
threats of like people posting my address and saying they'll shoot me, they'll set me on fire. I've had people show up at my family's home um, just to make me feel terrorized 24-7. And all of it was reported to Portland police uh, and nothing was ever done, ever. Uh, Nobody was ever arrested, for example, for the beating against me uh, when I had the brain bleed, even though that was partially caught on video and it was actually like right in front of a police station. Um, none of the people who have sent me threats and shown up at my home have been held accountable. So there's just a breakdown in the rule of law in Portland. Um, I mean, it's not just me who's being affected, like the city itself. People ask, like, how did the riots go on for months on end, nonstop every night? And it's because the uh, district attorney um, were dropping charges for the rioters. The police weren't arresting people. They were staying away. So you just have this whole breakdown in water, in public safety, in a, a major American city in the Pacific Northwest. And I was really on borrowed time there. I, I stayed there because I needed to be on the ground as I was writing and researching for this book. But I put myself at great risk, and I have been... Um, they're, they look for me at their protests and riots. Um, so it's, uh, it's been, I didn't want to leave. I mean, this is, Portland is my, my hometown, but, um, and the thing is like, it's not just Portland as well. If I go to any other urban area, any city, uh, the Antifa are well connected to their comrades in different places. And they just, they just made it clear that they were hunting me down. Um, so for the time being, I've, I've had to, to leave. And the police there just wouldn't protect you. They wouldn't offer you any protection after you gave, uh, suspects names and other information. Uh, they still wouldn't protect you. All they did was take a report, but that's just procedure. And then when I email and call and ask like, so did you interview this person who sent this threat to me? Um, I would always, there would always be some type of excuse. Sometimes I'm told it's free speech. Apparently it's free speech to say, I'm going to put a bullet in Andy. I don't know. That's, these are the types of threats that I'm getting and it's getting treated as sort of whatever. But I mean, I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised given that, I mean, the Portland police have sort of stood back and have watched, or rather I should say they're (coughs) the people who are higher in the command chains have allowed police to stand by and watch while citizens get beaten on the streets of downtown. This has happened for several years now. Now, you mentioned the attack that you face, which happened in June 2019. You had to be hospitalized with a serious head injury. Can you recount that experience for us? Yes. So ever since 2016, um, political street violence involving Antifa has become really routine in Portland. Uh, Portland's is the epicenter of American Antifa organizing. And so um, for several years, I have been documenting uh, in reports and videos and photos what was happening on the streets. And the Antifa became inflamed and irritated that I was writing critically about them, describing what they were doing as um, violence, wanton violence against people and property that it had nothing to do with so-called anti-fascism, that these are people who were operating essentially as a street gang to intimidate the public. And so eventually it became a target. By 2019, they were routinely singling me out, uh, these public protests and riots that they were doing. Uh, And then in in the summer of 2019, um, I was there recording on my GoPro. I had my mobile phone. I was just recording. That's all I was doing. And they suddenly punched me repeatedly and kicked me. Uh, it was the punches that likely gave me the, the brain bleed. Um, there was a whole mob of them. Uh, they were all masked, dressed in black. Um, they stole my GoPro, which is my evidence. Um, and then uh, when I was trying to leave, they then threw all these drinks and liquids in my eyes and my face. So 
the videos and photos from that time, you'll see that I'm just drenched in all this liquid and white stuff. I don't know what it is. Wow. That is an insane experience. And for people who are wondering, you can find that video online. It's just, I mean, it, it made national news. And I remember it was just playing it on a loop on how violent these people really are. And it's just unbelievable that they, the law enforcement there, would not offer you protection considering all the things that you face, the violent threats and the actual violence. And this leads me to your recent op-ed in the New York Post titled, Biden won't stop them and neither will cops until Portland is burned down. Paint a picture for our listeners about what's happening in Portland these days and what it's been like over the last several months, even a couple of years. How badly is Antifa uh, terrorizing Portland? And you mentioned a little bit earlier about something that happened over the last 24 hours. But is this a continuing engagement by Antifa terrorizing the city? It's treated as just sort of normal now. And that was my fear that as the riots went on and on, week after week, turning into months, that the citizens would just end up sort of just accepting that there are certain parts of the city at night you just don't go to because that's where Antifa shut down the road. The violence has, has never stopped in Portland. I mean, at its peak, it was happening every night for more than four months. Then um, in around October, November, it started to slow down just because of weather got really cold and wet, so fewer people were showing out, showing up. But the violence has still been weekly, and like I said, it was just yesterday that they tried to break inside the um, Portland Police Union building. So um, and on on inauguration day, they mass rioted. Uh, after election day, they just um, destroyed the front of a, a church and numerous businesses. So, Antifa. They're trying to, they feel they have a once in a lifetime opportunity to push Portland or any area, any city past a point of no return. Like they really want to see the city economically destroyed and never able to recover because it's in these sort of devastated areas that they then claim to have legitimacy as a a source of power. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm scared about the, the future of Portland. There was a really great piece that was published in Forbes recently that wonders if Portland will be able to recover. I mean, we were already dealing with the economic devastation from COVID policies last year, and then just as that was beginning to mildly let up at the end of May, then these riots broke out, and they have continued, and they continued in some of the most important economic areas of the city in downtown. So Portland does look like a first world slum in these areas that are at the heart of the city. Um, Antifa continuing to smash out storefronts. They do that on a regular uh, now. Uh, Police just don't have the resources or the will to confront them. And neither does anybody who's elected on city council. It's not just Portland that's dealing with that. Seattle is as well. Um, these are things that Antifa are also trying to replicate in other places as well. So like people on the East Coast of the U.S. shouldn't be sort of just thinking, well, I mean, the Pacific Northwest is far away. It's not a big deal. I mean, Antifa, for example, after their violence in Minneapolis last year where they torched down neighborhoods and people were died as a result of the riots, Um, They actually publish an after-action report on what worked well, what didn't, what they could do better. Uh, It was a huge win for them that they were able to take over a police station in Minneapolis and to actually burn it down. That's something they were trying to repeat in Portland when they tried to burn down the federal courthouse. Uh, And they were bringing explosives. And so, um, yeah, these are, we had... We have terrorists operating in the open and the response from uh, the entire liberal media class and liberal politicians is to call these people anti-racist, peaceful process. (laughs) Nothing peaceful about that. And you just mentioned something that I want to pick back up on. And it was quite interesting. 
you said basically that folks on the East and West Coast shouldn't get too comfortable. And it brings me to something you wrote in your, wrote in your New York Post op-ed, and I'm quoting you now. Some believe Antifa would fade away after Joe Biden's electoral win. They're wrong. With the convenient excuse of resisting Donald Trump's fascist regime no longer applicable, Antifa are just getting started. Now, if they had great success in Portland, which they did and they continue to, as you mentioned, terrorists are operating in the open. Can you elaborate on that point and what does it mean nationally? What what can we expect to see from that point of view? Well, we can expect likely is that any time in this coming year or in the near future that there is a police involved shooting and there is somehow selected video that is out of context that that will be used to make the public rage and to take to the streets and antifa is most effective and most destructive when they're able to embed themselves in larger left-wing protests as they did last year because the number of actual militant Antifa on the streets is relatively small. Um, we're talking about in the hundreds, depending on the city. And when they were carrying out mass violence, there were thousands and thousands of people involved. So they're very good at manipulating and turning um, inflamed, angry protesters into rioters. So. We just need, I mean, last year's a spark was the death of George Floyd. All that needs to happen if there's some other instance like that should be captured on camera. And in a country of 320 million people, it's likely that there will be some video that will make people outraged. And that's what Antifa used to get people out. They then publicize their tactics that they've been successful in in sort of these blueprints that are then shared with their other comrades in different cities so that they can replicate them in different ways. So for example, when riots were breaking out in Kenosha last summer, there were Antifa from Portland and Seattle who drove all the way out there to try to help their comrades there. So they, are, they move around as well to different states and they are creating and constantly refining and improving their um, riot methods so that it can be then just put into action at any other place. You know, you, you mentioned something and I just wanted to uh, get some clarification on a point that you just made in terms of the selectively edited videos. Did you believe that George Floyd tape was selectively edited or are you just referring to things that have happened in past time that was selectively edited and people took to the streets? I'm not referring specifically to George Floyd's video. I'm just mean other videos, other narratives that come out from videos. And by edited, I don't mean necessarily that they're doctored. I just mean that it's a snippet of something that could have taken place over hours, let's say. So, for example, People have it uh, burnt in their minds the image of the, the officer that had his knee on um, George Floyd's neck. That was part of a much long, longer interaction. And then on top of that, people neglect to mention the results of the um, autopsy from the, medical, uh, the county medical examiner, which found that there was a fatal level of fentanyl in George Floyd's body, which is relevant for this. So you know, using terms like this is a murder, this is a murder that was caught on video, that he was uh, murdered by cops, like those type of words for, like murder is determined in a court of law and that officer has not been found guilty, the investigation is still ongoing. There's actually some evidence to suggest that Floyd may have died of other reasons. So my, I mean, part of why I wrote Unmasked is just because the, um, journalists have been so derelict in their duties to inform the public accurately, immeasurably about um, these very sensitive topics. Instead, everything they do is just about pouring uh, fuel on fires and exploiting sensibilities over, over race and racial justice. 
So in many ways, they are doing the bidding of Antifa by sensationalizing these instances of use of force by police. You know, it, it's interesting as we were talking about the George Floyd case, there were some other folks, some some political commentators that recently mentioned the fentanyl. And I, I recognize that fentanyl uh, may uh, 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 decrease your ability rather to really breathe. So I get that. But the officer's knee on his neck wasn't proper police procedure. Therefore, he certainly uh, bears some liability to the death of George Floyd. And I think when we talk about these things, you can talk about the drugs that was in the system. Absolutely fine. That's okay. But are we looking to talk about it in the sense of dismiss what happened and what was wrong? And a lot of African-Americans truly feel trauma from police interaction because of the history of this country. We're talking about um, after the civil uh, the Civil War, when a lot of these um, um, Confederate soldiers became police officers and they began to inflict the same pain on African-Americans as they were as Confederate soldiers. So a lot of this is very real trauma that a lot of people don't necessarily understand because they've never lived a day in a black person's shoes. So I hear everything you're saying. I, I get it. I think it's so important to provide that contextual contextual um, element to these kind of conversations, because people often forget how real fear is for people and how they can respond in different ways. But moving beyond beyond that um, for a moment, I know you got a best selling book out, New York Times bestseller, which uh, people should definitely take a look at. And it's called Unmasked Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy. Why did you write the book and what is it about? What are your main arguments? I wanted to provide just to the average American or reader around the world a book that they could have in their hands to understand Antifa's history and ideology and organizing organizing tactics and why they are the threat that they are. Um, and by the way, I think it's important to, to respond to what you just said. Like all those points are, are really important and they're true about the reason why there's a certain salience or palatability for the actions of BLM Antifa is because there are these kernels of truth in things that they purport to say they're fighting for. So, right, the, the history of racism in the United States, particularly for black American citizens, is something that's real. And there are certain, um, we have within, within living memory of these policies that were you enacted at the state level and carried out by law enforcement to justify um, racist policies and uh, discriminatory actions. So Antifa and BLM, in my view, they use these traumas to carry out their extremist activities and to justify what they're doing. Um, so in the book, I also write about, I map out the relationship between BLM and Antifa and sort of the various theories that provide the framework for a lot of their arguments. Because if you talk to an Antifa, ask them, why are you, why are you setting fires to businesses? Why are you looting these small businesses? These people are part of our community. They don't see what they're doing as bad at all. They don't see it as criminal activity. They see it as a good thing because in their, their worldview, for example, they view capitalism, property rights, as linked to systems of oppression, linked to fascism. So, like, to better understand Antifa, you really have to understand their ideology and see where they're coming from, how they justify their actions. Because I think in addition to uh, um, a law enforcement response that is needed to break up some of their criminal networks, we also need to be looking at how do we um, counter their arguments that have made its way to the mainstream and is appealing to many people on the left. Okay, and thank you for that point of clarification. And I was intrigued by what happened over the summer because it appeared that in a lot of these cases when we saw in some of these communities, which I agree, why would you be destroying your own community? You saw Antifa with uh, Black Lives Matter, at least in the in the same area. And it appeared to me that Antifa was hijacking the Black Lives Matter moment in that scenario. But BLM, which we want to separate because there's 
the organization and there's the people that I know who I happen to be friends of who are professionals who aren't destroying businesses and property who just says use the term Black Lives Matter. And it's not necessarily linked to the association or organization in any matter. Did you see Antifa hijacking that movement? And we saw a lot of reporting on that on my network, Fox News Channel. We talked about it a lot. And the fact that BLM wasn't making any statements with regards to it. Did you see that a lot personally? Yes, I did see that a lot. So going back several years for the BLM events in in Portland and Seattle, I saw that Antifa were volunteering as security for these events. And ever since then, that sort of that, that partnership between the two has become a bit more explicit. In 2020, it was very explicit in some chapters. Uh, BLM DC, for example, was calling um, their supporters to come out and support some of these Antifa events. I don't know if I would say that Antifa hijacks. What they do is they, they exploit these events because, as I said earlier, there's a lot of people who go to these um, left-wing protests that are done in the name of racial justice. And these are people who are just regular left-wing people, liberals. They don't really understand that they are being used as human body shields in a wider agenda of creating, turning protests into riots that Antifa is so good at doing. Um, So my criticism of BLM, the organization, in addition to their Marxist revolutionary views that have been espoused by the founders, but also that leaders in the organization um, by and large have not done the work it takes to expunge the anarchist communist elements that are coming in to engage in criminal organizing. In fact, they usually ignore it, deny it, or welcome it. So um, at some point, in my view, you you do place blame on them for being complicit in it. And, but I think it's worse than that. I don't think they're just complicit. I think they welcome it. And you, as I write in the book, you can look at some specific chapters in the U.S., for BLM when they actually consider Antifa their comrades and allies. I want to pick up from there in a moment, but first let's go to break. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean, Keith Urban, Jelly Roll, Old Dominion, Lady A, Riley Green, Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, Walker Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th, stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. George Soros, he's he's funding, we know he's been funding BLM. I think he gave him $33 million. Is he also funding Antifa? The funding for Antifa is, there are a lot of, theories about that and most of it is unfounded one of the most common ones is that 
shadowy billionaire, millionaire figures are channeling money to Antifa groups. I haven't found evidence for that. It's actually much more simple. So as I write in the book, the, the funding sources is actually done through campaigns on GoFundMe, Cash App, and Venmo. So with the aid of big tech, these people make campaigns and accounts that are then shared with their very large and expansive networks on the left, and people are donating 20, 50, 100 dollars, several hundreds. And the amount of money that some of these Antifa groups have been able to raise is, is significant. I'm talking hundreds of thousands to millions. So in Portland alone, uh, hundreds of thousands was raised to cover everything from food to accommodation to travel, riot gears, weapons, jail money, uh, bail, jail bail funds, um, legal aid, absolutely everything. It just became a really well-oiled machine. They were swimming in cash. And then some of these groups, because they just opened up out of the blue after they would get all this money, they would just close down their Twitter account and you would, you would have no idea what happened to the remaining, let's say, $300,000 as one of these groups in Portland. Um, in in uh, Minnesota, the Minnesota Freedom Fund raised $35 million with the help of celebrities and people like Kamala Harris. Um, and that money was used to bail out every single person who was arrested at the riots throughout Minnesota. And some of the people that they were get, bailing out included those being held on charges of attempted murder and rape. So um, people are using big tech to aid in their riot organizing, which is why the decisions to ban Trump and ban many pro-Trump accounts on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram have been so hypocritical because they've turned a blind eye for years now to left far left terrorists who are organizing and crowdfunding on their platforms as you probably predicted the mainstream media and the pc police are not fans of your book the los angeles times called it extremely dishonest writing you pretend antifa is the real enemy leftists have even tried to cancel your book bullying portland's iconic powell's bookstore into not selling your book i believe powell's gave it gave into the mob Somewhat and said they wouldn't sell it in the stores, but they would do it online. I'm guessing you expected some of this backlash. What do you make of all of it? That particular review was written by a man named Alex Nazarian, who is a White House correspondent for Yahoo News. I think um, his certain things he said in the review were really disgusting. For example, linking me to Goebbels and calling me, in other words, a Nazi propagandist. Um, that type of language is, um, I mean, I, I don't think it has a place. You don't just flippantly use Holocaust uh, references just to make a point in a review to try to smear somebody. Like, um, it's disgusting. If he wants to challenge disagree with my analysis, all that is fine, but going down this route of really unprofessional language like that is not becoming of somebody who works as a reporter and covers the White House. So that's, that was my initial response, I think. Um, of course, it's entirely predictable. I think our, our papers are records, whether they be the, the LA Times or the New York Times or Washington Post, have published a lot of material that... Um, bring shame to the profession, in my opinion. And it brings me to another point. You mentioned the New York Times, a reporter there even called you a dangerous threat who should be censored on social media. How do you respond to all this? Are there any efforts, real legitimate efforts to censor you, whether it be on social media or anywhere else? Yes. Yeah, so you're talking about Sarah Jong. She um, she's a works on the New York Times. She was an editor. Um, and she had been calling for me to get banned after Trump was banned. Um, it just goes to show you, as I, I wrote about uh, in, in the book, uh, Antifa have a lot of fellow travelers and useful idiots in media. Uh, those are actually some of their strongest allies because they help mainstream Antifa's ideology and wrap it around the, these simple marketing 
terms like anti-fascism and anti-racism. I'm not surprised that a lot of journalists view my, they feel threatened by my work because they have poured their entire lives into making the public ignorant about the extremism of the far left. Yes, and I appreciate you making your voice known and certainly uh, putting the research out there because there's a lot of Americans who don't understand what Antifa is. And some people legitimately think it's just simply an idea and there's no real action behind it. And I, I think that that's certainly a lie. And we, we've seen that as evidenced by way of the way you were treated in many other instances, what we've seen either on social media or live on our televisions. But before we let you go, I just wanted to know what's next for you. Do you have any big projects coming up uh, that folks at home should know about? And, and what can people find you on social media and elsewhere? So I am on Twitter at Mr. Andy NGO. My website is andy-ngo.com. Uh, I post whenever I, I give interviews and I write news reports and all that. They go on my website or my, my social media so people can follow there. Um, I'm going to continue doing what I've been doing before, which is primarily to work as a reporter and covering the Antifa beat because this is an issue that is not going to go away and it's not going away. Absolutely. And I'm following you on Twitter myself. So I want to thank you again for coming on Out Loud with Gianno Caldwell and certainly educating us on many of the instances and intricacies rather of Antifa, because a lot of us are simply misinformed and don't even know what it is. But you lived life in a real way in terms of exposing them for what they are, reporting on the ground, even getting beat up by this violent group of people. So thank you again for all you do. And uh, we look forward to uh, seeing more from you and, and picking up a copy of your book. Thank you so much. Thank you, Andy. Thanks to Andy No for a great interview. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions for me, please email me at outloud at gingrich360.com and I'll try to answer them in our future episodes. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Gianno Caldwell. If you're interested in learning more about my story, please pick up a copy of my best-selling book titled Taken for Granted, How Conservatism Can Win Back the Americans That Liberalism Failed. Special thanks to our producer, John Cassio, researcher Aaron Klingman, and executive producers Debbie Myers, and of course, speaker New Gingrich, all part of the Gingrich 360 Network. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean, Keith Urban, Jelly Roll, Old Dominion, Lady A, Riley Green, Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, Walker Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th, stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific.